Hello, and welcome to the Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. Our goal is to keep you in the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insight, and advice. This podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the technical leaders in specialty tax services. Our guest today is John Sensaba. John is managing partner of Sensaba San Filippo, a CPA and business advisory firm out of Pleasanton, California. John is an active speaker at many events. I've seen him speak at events around the country over the years. I know John's written articles on various topics, including you know, tax, economic issues, employee issues, firm management issues. John's also a very active in civic and charitable organizations within his community. And I think you'll hear as we talk today, his firm is that way as well. I could go on and on with the number of, uh, of areas that he has been involved with. I would like to mention that John has received accolades in the past. He has been named Pleasanton's Man of the Year and I think it was 2015. Managing Partner Elite by Accounting Today in 2014, and John can correct me on any of these dates uh, as soon as I let him talk. His firm under his leadership was named the fastest growing firm in the country in 2016. I think the 18th fastest growing firm in the country, which is, which is great. They've won uh, different accolades like fittest firm and healthiest firm, all areas which I think are important to him and his firm. Enough about that. I'd like to now introduce you to John. John, thank you for being part of the show. Thanks for having me, Randy. You and I have, I guess, known of each other for a handful of years, but really didn't get to know each other that deep until, until last year. We've been at conferences together for probably five or six years, uh, maybe met at uh, breakfast or lunch. Uh, I had the good fortune of uh, getting to know John a little bit better the last year uh, when we were at a conference. It was actually a year ago this week at a conference in Chicago. And then a couple months later, I was out in his area and he and I uh, got to share a glass of wine and, and tell stories of uh, uh, family, friends, business, charity, all things. Again, I think you're going to find they're important to John. So, so that, that was a really interesting night and I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, that, that, was, that was great. And, and, and honestly, now I'm going to build you up here for a second. Um, but I'm going to put pressure on you for this show. But when they first asked me to do this show, a couple things ran through my head. And the first was why. Um, and then, <laughs> then when I got past that, I decided I did not want to have a show where we dug deep into tax code or accounting issues or Thank God. research and development tax credits all the whole time. Correct. Um, and this is where I'm putting the pressure on you. What I did is I thought back to that conversation you and I had, and I thought, man, I'm so lucky. I get to travel around the country and have these, these interesting conversations with leaders around the country. And if I'm finding it interesting, I'm thinking other people will find it interesting. So, so really that was what when I thought back to that conversation, I thought that's something we can do on the show that I think people will like. So now, now that I've built you up, uh, are you ready for that challenge? Yeah, I guess I better be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll see where, where it goes here. What I really like to do first off, did I miss anything in my intro? Any other accolades the firm has uh, received lately that you'd like to highlight? 
No, I think the undercurrent there was that I'm old. I've lived a long time. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, though. Yeah, I didn't get too far into that. But you have been, how long have you been with the firm? You, you started there back in late 19, 90s? Uh, 1994, so 25, a little over 25 years. Okay, so that's a, that's, a, that's a while for the firm. And you started in public accounting in the mid-80s, is that right? I graduated from college in 1986 and went straight into public accounting. All right, so whole career in public, no, no deviations out of it? No, no courage. I stayed in. <laughs> stayed in. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, I know a lot of people will stay in for a few years, get out for a few years, and then a lot will get back in. So, so you never, uh, you never went to the dark side. You stayed right in there. So. No, I think that's valuable when people do that because they bring a different perspective. But I, like I said, I never had the courage. All right. Well, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So, so going back to that conversation, what I'd like to do is I'd like to jump into a few things that we talked about. And, and you took over the managing partner role in 2008. Is that correct? Correct. May 1st, 2008. Okay. So just after tax season then as well. So 2008 was obviously not a great economic year in our country. I'm assuming that overall it was probably a, a little bit of a struggle uh, for most firms at that point. And, and so I'm just curious to, to go over how you address that, challenges that you may have faced at that time and things you did to overcome them. I guess that's a loaded question, but uh, if you want to jump in there, that'd be great. Sure. You know, uh, 11 years ago, a little bit of revisionist history, I'm sure, but I'll do do the best to recollect what, what went on. We were at a, a crossroads, not only in the economy at that point in time in our firm, but a crossroads at our firm trying to decide what we wanted to be for the future. So 2008, we lost 40% of our top line, you know, which is more than most firms. We can't blame that all on the economy. We were too concentrated in in some industries that got hit harder than others in the Bay Area. So it, we decided that um, a, re- a recession is a good time to start a business. People always say that. And we decided it was a good time to restart a business. So we changed our compensation model for our partners to drive the kind of culture and behavior that we wanted in the entire firm, because how you pay your partners tends to drive that, that behavior and that culture. And we also changed the kind of firm that we wanted to be. We wanted to focus more on industry verticals. We wanted to really upgrade the, the professionalism in the firm and the services that we, we provided to our client clients. So um, like many small firms, our partners tended to be a jack of all trades. And we decided that you were going to have to declare a Fisher file. You were going to be tax auditor consulting. And beyond that, you had to decide which industries you wanted to serve. And we sat down at one partner retreat and said, if we were CP or if we were clients, what would we want in a CPA? And the answer was, we would want somebody who was passionate about my, my vertical. If I'm a manufacturer, I want somebody who's excited about manufacturing. If I'm, I'm going to hire somebody who's excited about manufacturing, I want them to be focused on tax laws or pending tax laws that might impact my business or financial regulations that might impact my financial reporting and my ability to raise capital, my access to capital. So we came up with a kind of a slogan that we'll be national experts with a regional focus because we're a regional firm. So that had some consequences. We were a pretty successful firm up to 2008. We had higher than average net income per partner. And there's an expression that says you don't leave fish to find fish, right? I'm sitting on the river and I'm catching fish. Why am I going to go look for something else? So there were some partners that said, why would we do anything different? The economy hit. We get it. We had a bad year. But why should we suddenly apply ourselves harder and talk to the Senate Finance Committee about pending tax legislation. That sounds ridiculous for a regional firm to do, but most of us wanted to. 
So we had partners leave. We had staff leave. We probably turned over over the next four years, 80% of our staff because we raised our standards. We had higher expectations that we hadn't had in the past. So for us, the recession, while I can't tell you that I didn't lose a lot of sleep and I don't think it was a very good idea to take over as managing partner in 2008, it was a bad timing on my part, but it was a tremendous education for, for me and for my partners and really focused us on what we wanted to be and challenged us to work hard to become what we thought clients would want. And since we're big believers in the golden rule, we want to treat others the way they want to be treated. We wanted to become the CPAs that we would want if we were clients. And um, that really got us through. Well, that, yeah. So, so obviously you had to, I'm assuming revenue uh, got hit pretty decently in that restructure or was that an area that dropped or was it you were just turning over employees, keeping same revenue and then changing the whole mindset of the firm to, uh, uh, to, to get going into the right direction? We got hit so hard uh, that that year uh, between the recession and between partners that decided they didn't want to be in the new firm that we dropped from a $20 million firm to a $14 million firm in 12 months. Okay. So manage, managing costs and staying in business was uh, a great motivator that first year. Making payroll was a great motivator for me. And I had you know a 30-year-old firm. You don't want to be the guy who, who rides it into the ground. So once we got past that, we we can we started to grow so our growth has continued on a fairly decent pace as you mentioned at some point in time we were considered one of the 20th fastest growing firms in the country in 2015 or 16 whatever year that was so that focus that we had and the the house cleaning that we did resulted in and much like in a i think in the organic world when you prune something it it sometimes grows better mm-hmm. and we pruned deep yeah, so that had to be that had to be scary not only for you but for employees at that time. What's going on? Where are we going? Are, I mean, were you able to retain the people, all everybody you wanted to, or were there people that were like, okay, I'm not sure that I can uh, ride this out. I, I, you know, maybe I've got confidence in John uh, in the firm, but I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Was there some of that, or how do you address sure, that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There was some of that. And one of the lessons I learned, one of the management lessons, one of the many management lessons I learned during those first few years was that when times are uncertain, the people that you really want to retain, they've got a lot of other options, mm-hmm. right? If they're looking for more certainty or better leadership, right. there's a lot, a lot of other options. So the people that you retain, if you are passive, are the ones who don't have options. So that's, boy, that's a very unvirtuous cycle you can create. Right. So, so as we started to see that happening, we redoubled our efforts to, to make sure that we were as transparent as possible with, with where we were, where we planned to go. And you really had to sell people on a vision because it hadn't, you haven't proven that you could do it yet. It's much easier today, you know, with 10 years experience of doing right. it right. than it was back then. But we unfortunately did lose some people we didn't want to lose. And, and so, so these were, you know, management uh, uh, techniques or styles that, that you had decided to implement. Where did you learn? Uh, was this learning on the fly? Is there places you go to to uh, look for advice? Uh, how, how did you uh, get through that? I'm assuming it was all not on your shoulders that you were learning and getting advice from others. Yeah, I'm, I'm the managing partner, but I'm a partner. And so I have a lot of other smart people that I work with. Personally, we, we did not do a lot of leadership training at our firm in those early years. 
We did very little soft skill training. It was all technical training. It was all geared towards uh, maintaining your license and fulfilling licensure requirements. So I went outside the firm. I joined boards where I knew that there were good leaders serving on those boards. I got a chance to observe. Community service is, is something that makes you feel good, but it's also something that is a tremendous teacher. So I received most of my leadership training and a lot of the philosophies I have related to management from sitting in a room full of people that are smarter than me and watching how they operate. I think that's great advice. I mean, to be able to do that, uh, uh, to, to learn from the others, uh, as you see, I feel the same way on that. I've been on, on many boards and I'm like, okay, I feel very honored to be sitting here with these people that I can learn something from. So I think that's right. uh, I never looked at it that way that I was learning, but now that I think about it, it is a, a nice learning experience. So, all right. So, so you, you got through that. Obviously you've been a nice growing firm now. Uh, your growth, I think has been fairly tremendous. Uh, we'd mentioned that one uh, year where you were listed on that top 20, I think I saw recently or what top 125 firm in the country. That, depending on who's measuring, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I know there's a few lists out there. That's one of right. the lists I saw. So obviously you went through this process. You've, you're very successful now. You're, I think you kind of mentioned it, somewhat niche oriented or you need a passionate leader in those uh, in, a, in a certain industry to, to be able to want to jump into those areas. And I think I read somewhere, if, if you have a client come to you and you don't have the expertise, that you don't feel that you've got that passionate leader, in you know you know they're in ABC industry and ABC industry is not something that you feel that you have enough expertise you'll refer them to someone else is that correct yeah that's that's exactly right we go going back to the golden rule how would you want somebody to take you on as a client just because it's a way for them to make money or because they're passionate about what you do once you realize that's what you would want as a client it, it becomes almost a moral imperative to behave that way and our our partner compensation is designed so that people are not rewarded on a book of business. So not only do we refer things outside the firm if we're not appropriate for it, but my partners would never consider taking on a client that isn't in their niche, that they're not passionate about. They sell for each other all the time. And I'm a big uh, big fan of Miracle on 34th Street, the corny Christmas movie from Lord knows how many years ago about Macy's sending people down, down the street when they didn't have the product that they wanted. And I remember the impact that that had and, and, and the wow. goodwill that it generated. So that's not, that's not why we do it, but it always reminds me of that because I'm, I've got a lot of friends in public accounting. It's a great profession. Most firms are, are really good people, very community oriented. And I refer a lot of work to other CPA firms because if it doesn't fit us, we definitely send it along. Now, does that come back to you then as well? Or I'm, I'm assuming you're not looking for that. You're just looking in the best interest of the client. But the, I'm assuming that you get referrals back at the, your, for your niche industries. We do. We do. Um, when somebody's conflicted out of something or don't, they don't feel like they've got the expertise, they don't hesitate to call us. Okay. I, I love the story of that, the way you went from 2008 to where you are today, but it's not just the management side of things or the growth side of things and the client retention, but it's employees as well. And I know employees are very important to you from a, a standpoint that I know you, I've been at conferences where you've sent employees for training, for you know development, for growth. Uh, do you have a philosophy of, of the employees in your firm and, and how uh, you want to bring them up, not only to be able to do the best for your clients, but to do the best for them themselves as well? Yeah. As you know, Randy, having been in leadership roles, you feel a tremendous sense of obligation when somebody trusts you with their career. And 
one of the tests I always have, I used to say, if my parents walked into any one of our offices, would they be proud of, of the way that they saw people treat each other? Well, my folks are gone. My kids are now in their 20s and 30s. And so my test is, would I be proud if for them to see it? Or how would I want somebody to treat them? And I think about the things that I didn't have when I was younger that I wish I'd had. And that was great training, very clear career path, real transparent management. So we try and do all those things, again, putting ourselves in the, in the position of an employee or a, a college student just joining our firm and getting their first job. What would you want? And then if, if it's within our means and within our skill sets, we provide that. And I feel, I feel I'm, I'm the least objective person on earth to talk about this when it comes to my firm, but I would love to come to work for my firm out of college right now. I would absolutely, I think that'd be the best thing on earth. Um, another thing that uh, we do for our people is, uh, we talked about this before we got on air, was we, that we're a B Corp. So we, we give them a reason to work that's beyond making money. We're a very mission-driven organization, and that's resonated with our folks in a way that we never anticipated, but we're happy that it has. So I think that um, if, uh, if you ask any of our employees why they're here, I hope, would hope that they tell you they're here to help people. They're here to help each other, and they're here to help, here to help our communities and our clients. Yeah, I know uh, you have, and I want to get into that that B Corporation uh, 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 designation here a little bit deeper. But I know uh, I've read different places that your your firm philosophy or your philosophy is, you know, family, community, firm. Do I have that correct? Those are our priorities, right? All right, your priorities. Okay, and so 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 what does that mean? I mean, your first priority is to your family, to your community, and you just mentioned that through your B corporations and your giving and your supporting, and and then and then to firm. I mean, is there anything you can expand on that that I should know deeper? Sure. Well, it's fairly self-explanatory, except that we want to make sure that people understand what we mean by those things. So when you look at a 57-year-old white guy as the managing partner, that's me, you might think, oh, family, nuclear family. Boy, I bet he doesn't define family you know, the way I would define family. So we don't, we don't pretend to define that for anyone. Family can be anybody. It can be uh, friends. It can be you know, however you define it as an individual. The people that you consider to be your family are probably the most important people in your life. And that doesn't have to be true, right? Those, that's just our priorities. Mm-hmm. That's the reason we do what we do. It's the reason we're not an international firm because we want to spend time at home with our families. We don't want to be on airplanes and traveling. We're not passing judgment on that lifestyle. We just want to be clear to people that families are important to us. If you work here, those are our values. And if your values are different, it may not be a great place for you. But for us, that's really important. And then community is the same way. We let people define community in any way that they see fit, whether it's coaching Little League, working at the SBCA, working with the homeless, however they define community, we support that. And our philanthropic efforts support our people. So our money follows our people. If they're involved in something in the community, it doesn't matter. As long as they're passionate about it, we'll help support it. So the firm, even though we spend probably most of our adult life, most of our waking hours uh, at the firm, it really supports those other two things. So we like to be really clear that family, community, and firm are our priorities so that when people come to work here and we tell them they can't work seven days in a row, they can't work 80 chargeable hours in a week because that's inconsistent with our, our values, we want them to know that up front. We'll take the keys away from somebody. Well, this is very old school, right? So this happened before before you could work anywhere, anytime on your phone. Yep. We actually took the keys away from one of our partners who refused to stop coming to the office seven days a week because once somebody does it, 
it creates an environment where everybody else wants to keep up and suddenly you lose your integrity. So now I guess we'd have to lock them out of the network to keep them from working. <laughs> That's true. It's a little harder these days, isn't it? Right. Um, um, with all those values that you have, um, and you mentioned this before, with the you know if if this was a if you were out of, coming out of college now, you, you would find this attractive place to work. Albeit, you, you know, you mentioned that you may not be an objective on that, but still, <laughs> maybe not. I, I, I would agree with you on that from what I've seen. So one of the biggest issues that I constantly hear in public accounting right now is is getting and retaining employees. So does this help with that? Are you are you do you feel that you're better at that or be a better able to attract and retain uh, uh, good employees, good uh, uh, workers because of the way that you are in the company? Yeah, I think I think absolutely that's true. We have uh, are constantly looking for, for ways to treat people better and to give them the lives that they want to have. And one of the things you hear a lot about is work-life balance. I don't know if there is such a thing, you know, especially when you can be connected 24-7. Mm-hmm. So it's really about happiness, what makes what makes you happy. Some people want to work really hard and they want to work 30 hours a week and then they want to spend 20 hours a week volunteering and the rest of the time doing other things in their lives. And we allow people to do that. We'd rather have 20% of a great person's time than 0%. So there's no frowning or kind of rolling of the eyes when somebody wants to have a different work schedule for whatever reason, whether it's family or community or just personal happiness. So we don't have a flexible policy because once you have a policy, it's no longer flexible. So you write it down and and suddenly it's it's written. So we ask people to do three things. We have three expectations from people. We want you to communicate. We want you to meet your commitments and we want you to be nice. If you do those three things, you'll be extremely successful in our firm. Well, those pretty broad categories. Mm-hmm. If you communicate, that means you're being transparent, you're setting expectations, people know uh, what to expect. If you meet your commitments, boy, that's the definition of professionalism, isn't it? Or it's one of those definitions. Do, do what you say you're gonna do. If you say you're gonna deliver something on time or at a specific time, do it. Or well in advance of that, renegotiate because circumstances change, we all know that. But communicate, meet your commitments and be nice doesn't matter where you are or when you do your work. You know, if you've committed to be at a meeting at a certain time, then it matters where you are and when you're there. Outside of that, results are what matter. And, and you just have to be nice. There's just no way around that. So if you do those three things, you can have tremendous flexibility in your career. And that seems to resonate with people as well. And, and did I read somewhere that you actually have part-time, empl- uh, part-time partners? Sure. There's, there's in every partner group, they have the same thing. Maybe they may not recognize it, but you've got the person who works the most, right? Somebody at some point in time is going to be the person who works the most and you're going to have the person that works the least. And in our case, we have 15 people in between. So there are people that work a lot more than other people. And it doesn't matter. Our, Our compensation system adjusts for results and you can put in whatever effort you want to put in as a, as an equity partner, you have some kind of limitations. You do need to show up to partner meetings. You do need to participate in partner retreats. You're at risk. So you'd like to be plugged into what's going on at the firm. But but yeah, everybody has part-time partners, just not everybody recognizes it. All right. All right. I understand. So, all right. Well, that that's uh, everything there is real interesting. And, and I'm hearing that same type 
the conversations I've been having lately, some on podcasts, some off of podcast, and some will be on podcast, have been the same thing about that whole flexible, the work-life balance. I had a conversation last week with a, with a gentleman who uh, has a virtual office. He has a firm where they don't have an office. Everybody works at home. They have flexible schedules. He attracts people that are, you know, that can be uh, stay-at-home moms, but they can work in the evening. They can work when kids are at school. And I just think that the way you are doing that, the way he's doing that, I think it's important to continue to uh, attract uh, good people and keep people in this industry. And keeping people in this industry, I think, is is key. I'm going to ask it because I asked him this question and it just made me uh, uh, think about asking you as well. Because to me, it's something that I've been thinking about ever since this uh, was defined. But do you think, and, and you haven't had problems retaining and, and getting good people, it sounds like, but do you think the whole five-year requirement now to become a CPA, five years of college, do you think that has affected the number of people going into public accounting? Absolutely. You yeah, that's, an ex- that's an expensive thing. Try I know. To 25% more yeah. college. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's definitely had an impact. I'm not sure it's, it's, it's bad to have the ex- education expectation, but it certainly has had an impact. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's just a, it's just a, a personal area that I'm curious about. And, and honestly, I learned more in my first year working at a CPA firm than I did would have in my fifth year of college, I think. So that's the way I look at it, but that's just my, uh, um, uh, I want I want this profession to continue to be strong and grow and I want to make sure we attract good people. And if there's any hindrance to that, uh, um, that's not going to change and I'm not going to be the one to change it. I'm just curious <laughs> uh, if you were one, to, if you ever thought about that as well. All right. En- enough on my, on my end. Uh, I want to, I, I, we're going to have to wrap up before too long here, but I really do want you to, expand on that that b if i'm saying it right the b corp designation because i think i read uh you may be one of the only cpa firms that have this and and maybe one of the few firms in your area i'm just uh what is it why is it and 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 maybe even a little bit of how do you become this sure so i'll start with why we became a b corp we are the only one in california i think there are six in the united states and maybe 10 in the world uh, CPA firms that are that are B Corps. I was invited to join a group called Cocktails for CSR Leaders. So CSR, Corporate and Social Responsibility. I have no idea how I got invited. I showed up for the first meeting and I think it was held at uh, Pandora's headquarters in Oakland. And we had people, you name the tech company and their CSR leaders were there. Nobody over the age of 30 except me. <laughs> Nobody with a sport, sport coat on except me. I was I was there to learn and I was happy they let me in the room and we were talking about organizations they were talking about CSR efforts at their their large corporations and one of them uh, was from a bank and they said that they were a B Corp bank and I thought what's a B Corp I know what a C Corp is I know what an S Corp is what's a what's a B Corp so I asked uh, her for more information she shared it with me and I thought you know our firm has their culture very much consistent with this I wonder how close we are if we if we took this assessment, and that's one of the things you have to do, uh, took this assessment, I wonder how far off we'd be from qualifying to be a B Corp. So I mentioned it to our marketing director, and she she just lit up. She didn't know much about it. She did the research. She said, can I make this one of my goals for the next 12 months to make us a B Corp? I said, yeah, sure. She came to me and said, I need to hire a consultant. This is hard stuff. I said, sure. And then she went to the rest of our operations team and had them do the hard work they needed to do to complete the assessment. It's a 200 point uh, assessment. You have to score at least 80 points 
to be considered to be a B Corp. We were, I think, 80.9 <laughs> when we were done. We changed our procurement process to, to be more uh, consistent with B Corp values. We did a bunch of work, and I think it got us 0.4 points. I mean, it is a difficult thing to wow. get through, and it, took, wow. it typically takes about a year. We, we did it in nine months. And so we did it because we thought, this is kind of who we want to be. What a B Corp is, is that it's companies striving to be the best in the world by doing the best for the world. So the typical triple bottom line, people, planet, profit. So we, we did it to see how close we were and to measure ourselves against best practices. We learned a lot in that process. We learned about B Labs, which is the nonprofit organization that certifies companies as B Corps. We learned a lot about how we could do things that were more environmentally sound, things that addressed diversity, equity, and inclusion in ways that we were not as deliberate about as you know, we we always thought we were progressive, but not as deliberate as we could be. And then Randy, the the consequences of that we never anticipated. And that was that people did define us as a mission driven organization. Employees did stand a little taller. Uh, on campus, when you're the only B Corp, it it stands out even among the international firms. You talk to other companies that are have that focus and they want to do business with B Corps. And if they want to do business with a CPA firm in California that's a B Corp, they have one choice. So we had no idea the impact it would have. We did it because we thought we were probably pretty close to that already. We wanted a way to, to measure ourselves so that, you know, if you want to get better at something, you should measure it and then see what your improvement is. But the ancillary benefits have been something that we didn't anticipate. Now my marketing director is the director of marketing and sustainability. And she consults with other companies that want to become B Corps and helps them through that process. So for us, it's been a really big deal. It has impacted retention. It has impacted attraction. It's impacted the trajectory of the firm. We will soon be announcing our Center for Sustainability, sustainability auditing practice. It is, it's been a big deal for us. Wow. I talked to other managing partners in the California Bay Area or the San Francisco Bay Area in California. And one of them said, hey, we're, we're on the path. You're not going to be the only one anymore. And I said, that's the point. We want everybody to be on this path. And I think whether or not the B Corp certification turns out to be the, the, the standard that everybody uses, there's so much demand for transparency in business and for people to do the right thing that everybody eventually, you won't have a choice but to be aware of the, the impact you have on the environment and the impact you have on society. You, people just won't work for you. They won't buy your products. They won't buy your services. So whether or not B Corp is the one that survives, you know, beta versus VHS, I don't know which one it'll be. Right, right. But I, don't, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the VHS is right now because B Corp is the only thing. But it is important that, uh, that I think that we all recognize that how we impact society in general and, and the environment needs to be part of our business strategy. All right, so so if I was coming out of college right now, I'd be coming to work for you guys. So yeah. good, thanks, Randy. We'd you. <laughs> I'm like, well, you have to see my resume first, but <laughs> but no, that everything you're doing, I think everybody can learn a lot from just how you came through that 2008, you know, turn down and and the management's philosophies you went through, your your employee retention and and how you attracted employees, the B Corp. I think everything sounds great, and and, and I think you're. I, I feel you're doing a nice job out there, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to you about that. So, so I'm going to uh, probably wrap it up here. But what I do want to do 
And um, one question uh, that it's not related to anything. And, and, and as I was sitting here right now, I thought, you know what? Uh, when I was out there last time, we had the glass of wine. I know you're in wine country. Do you have a favorite uh, a winery that you uh, get to visit out there at all or wine style? Or uh, uh, do you not want to pick favorites? Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine picking favorites. <laughs> right. so there's, there's two two wine regions close to close to where I live. I live in Pleasanton, California, which is in San Francisco, East Bay. We have the Livermore Valley wines, which are very close to home. A lot of friends who are growing and making those wines. And I, I absolutely love uh, Wente wines. They've got a great collection. They're the oldest winemaker in California. Great family, good in the community, love their wines. My wife and I, when we decide we're going to have something really special, we have uh, Silver Oak Cabernet out of Napa Valley. And they also have an Alexander Valley wine that's very good, but those are my two favorites. All right, I'm writing that down. Next time I'm in town, I'm <laughs> going to call you ahead of time to make sure. And last time I was in town, my wife and I and and brother and sisters and brother and sister-in-law went to uh, a Sonoma uh, last uh, October. And uh, beforehand, I had shot you an email, and you gave me some oh, that's recommendation. Right. So, so I really appreciate that. Well, I'm I'm going to wrap this up now. Before I do any way that you'd want people to get a hold of you, I guess website or I don't know any uh, social media stuff you guys do that you'd like to. Uh, let everybody know about? Yeah, you can you can find us at ssflp.com on the web. I'm at Sensiba on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and probably some things I'm not even aware of. Yeah, I'm sure they can find that all on your website. Well, th- this has been great. It, 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 you did not disappoint me in, in the conversations <laughs> we had. Uh, it lived up to uh, what I had expected. So I, I really appreciate the time, and, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again soon. But... At this point, I'm going to sign off. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Uh, remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode, where we will bring you another interesting guest and hear their stories and insights. Mm-hmm.